Hello, my name is Aoife Smith, and I will be having a conversation with Hayden Gibson for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. It is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans identifying people. It is July 27th, 2019, and this is being recorded in downtown Manhattan. Hi. Hello. Um, do you just want to start off with telling me a bit about where you're from, where you grew up? Yeah, I, uh, I'm from a small town in South Carolina, about uh, two or so hours from Charleston, South Carolina. It's uh, called Calvin Falls. It's right on the border of, uh, of Georgia and South Carolina. So I could walk across the bridge and then suddenly be in Georgia, which was very useful during Sundays <laughs> because, of, uh, because of the liquor laws. Um, yeah, it was... Um, I uh, grew up with my adoptive parents, who adopted me when I was about two years old or so, so for all intents and purposes, they're really the only family that I've ever known about. But yeah, it was um, it's an interesting place to grow up, about maybe 5,000 people at most. Yeah, that's small. <laughs> it is very small. It used to be... Um, the main source of industry in the town used to be um, this uh, cotton mill that was there, like the, and uh, everyone used to work there until it closed in the mid '90s, I think. So it's you know very. It's one of those places you hear about, you know, and like whatever industry goes away, and then the town just sort of has to deal, and it doesn't do very well. That's where I grew up. Yeah. Um, it was it was all right. Um, I remember one one of the things that we when we were kids we used to do all the time was uh, there were a lot of abandoned buildings around town, <laughs> so uh, favorite pastime was always going into them, <laughs> breaking into them. However, you you know the, our our favorite used to be the um, there was this old pool house. Uh, that was uh, next to the filled-in public pool that used to be there, and we used to um, go in there and have parties and stuff. It was it was really fun. I got a tattoo there. <laughs> yes, when I was like seventeen. It was uh, not the. It was not the from a hygienic standpoint not the best place to have a tattoo done, but it was very. It was a memorable experience. <laughs> That sounds so cool. Yeah. What kind of, like, who would hang out there? Was it you and your friends or, like, people you didn't know? Yeah, I'm, I had a very small um, so, small social group, but uh, fortunately I was, I was friends with a lot of other people that had friends. So the way it was was be, like, the three people that I knew and then a bunch of other people that knew everyone. So um, it was mostly, like, the... Um, it's mostly like these three, like these three like scene girls that uh, that I used to hang out with, and uh, like all the boys that they knew, and uh, yeah, it, it was it was an interesting group because <laughs> it was this weird mix. I think when you when you have a town that small, I don't think there's much of a that much of a divide between like students especially in the school because there's just no one else to hang out with so you would have like you know all the like the goth kids would be there but you know like a bunch of people from the football team would also be there 
and all just sort of hanging out. <laughs> Duh. Yeah, but you know, you, there's, when you're, there's like at most like fifty people in uh, in your class, it's uh, yeah, it's yeah, that's really small. <laughs> your your app your options are very limited. Um, you just mentioned like the goth kids. You said you were like a oh. goth kid in high school, right? Oh, absolutely. I um from like age like fourteen to like sixteen, I really tried hard for it. I don't know. I feel like it's for kids especially, I think, that like latching on to like an identity like that, like you're a punk or you're a goth or something like that, is especially for queer kids, I think it's a very safe way, more socially acceptable way to play with things like presentation and things like that. Like people might think you're weird if you're like a boy wearing lipstick or something like that but like you know they're just like really into the cure so it's it's weird but people don't worry about you as much you know and uh, i think that's that was probably a big reason that i was attracted to it until i was i was like i remember one time my uh my parents i really got into it with them one time and uh I was grounded and they took away all my black clothes and I was like 15 I was devastated <laughs> just like I don't know what else to wear like it just felt so out of uh, you know uncomfortable my own skin after that for a long time then I eventually got them back <laughs> <laughs> were there any um, you said the pool the old pool hall were there any other like specific places or scenes you guys would go, or like concerts or anything. I know it was a small town. Did you travel to different places, or? Um, yeah, there were. Um, one of the other big places was the, the our our town had a had a park that was next to this big like Lake Russell, and so during the summers especially, that's where we would hang out. And there was a bunch of old piers and stuff, and we would spend a lot of time on hanging out on those and uh, jumping off of them. There was like this old, uh, like one of those like s- school, uh, like like playground stores or whatever, like that there's on this one pier on this one side, there's one of those posts mm-hmm. that you see sticking out of the water in like lakes and stuff, and then it, the like, tide markers, that's what they are. Yeah, there's like a tide marker down there, but it's like fallen over a little bit. So be careful if you jump there because one kid hit his head there and died. So the story goes. So of course, like all the boys would, you know, like try and impress like the girls by like jumping off. We start, me and like some other friends like went just swimming around in there searching for a long time trying to find this <laughs> this thing. I do not think it actually existed. And the, urban legend. Yeah. <laughs> and his spirit still haunts. There was, yeah, there, we didn't have that many ghosts. We did have one that was, that was like some kid on the basketball team who had died and supposedly you could still hear like him playing basketball in the gym which i because no one really knew who this kid was or how he died i don't think it was i don't think this actually happened but we um there's like other places outside of town you 
if you wanted to go to anything like music wise or anything or just, like just to like see a movie or eat out like you had to go to the uh, any of like the surrounding towns like Abbeville was slightly bigger than us we had like maybe 10,000 people <laughs> and um, um, but if you really wanted to like see a proper band or something you either had to go to Atlanta or to uh, yeah, they had to go to Atlanta or the um, or Greenville, Greenville, South Carolina, which um, were proper, you know, actual cities where you could uh, where you could see, have fun and do all that kind of thing. I um, we we didn't go too much because most of us did not have car car, so we were just kind of stuck there. But um, we had a we had one time where we um, we went out to. It was like summer break, and we went to Georgia, to like the Georgia Theater to uh, to see a show, and that was we went to see a Ty Seagull, and that was that was a fun time, but we didn't, we none of us were really supposed to be like gone, gone for that long, so it was this situation where we like get up at like eight o'clock in the morning, drive all the way out there for this concert that like just starts at like nine or something and then drive all the way back <laughs> in one day. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. The drive up there and the, like the actual experience was fun, but um, uh, by you can imagine by the time we were like halfway through coming back, we all wanted to kill each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, your town is pretty small and you're able to go someplace around it. Were you able to interact with other queer people or go to queer places or? No, I um I'd never been to like a gay bar until I came to New York. Like there just really wasn't any around unless you wanted to go to like to Greenville or uh, or like Atlanta. Um, there's none that I knew about. There were other. There were other queer kids around, and like just the queer people in general, but um, there really wasn't like a community of queer people like at all. There was always this. I think the small towns, especially like, their version of progress as it has gotten up to this point from my town has been like we will accept that queer people exist in our thing but like you all just need to like keep to yourselves and that uh i think really discourages people from trying to you know band together to form any kind of community i think the first like serious interaction i ever had with someone that i knew was queer was um we were at a football game and i was maybe 14 or 15 and um this kid who was one of those friends of a friend i didn't really know him at all like that night i think might have been the first time i ever met him but we'd all been hanging out in the same group and joking around and stuff and all of our friends go off to uh like get something from the hot dog stand or something or check on someone's boyfriend who like was doing something stupid <laughs> but for one reason or another we the two of us were uh, were left alone and uh he just looks at me and says uh, i'm gay and 
being 14 at the time, I was very closeted, so I had no, had no idea how to react to this. Yeah, I just like panicked and said, well, well, oh, cool, I'm straight. <laughs> and we just sort of like sat in awkward silence for a while until all of our friends came. And I never really hung out with them again, and not by choice, uh, but I never really hung out with them seriously again. I always wondered though why he chose to tell me that. Um, it's like he knew before I did, or and he was trying to make some kind of connection or something. Um, I think about that a lot. Uh, I, I wish I had said. Something, I mean. I wish a lot of things. I think anyone who, like, had to, like, people always wish they could have accepted themselves sooner than they did, but I think one of my biggest regrets is that I, I couldn't have, if he was looking for that kind of connection, I, I wish that I could have offered that to him that night, which just turned into a deer in the headlights. I didn't know how to process that. Yeah, no, you were young, and it's like yeah. a lot. Yeah, no. I mean, we we were all kids. Exactly. It's It's not, not like I'm guilt-stricken or anything, but maybe it would have been nice, you know? Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you're half-Jewish, half-evangelical Christian. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm half-Jewish, half-Irish. And the family uh, that I was raised with... Um, I think they're Scottish or something. We don't know. It's one of those things. Ambiguous. But my my family, my adoptive family, they were uh, they were and are evangelical Christians, and um, that's how I was raised for like the majority of my life, especially early on in my life, in my like early childhood. They were very very active evangelicals. Um, they even had their own ministry, and um, we. Um, would like go out to like different churches to you know like basically have events and be like here's what our group is and go to like we would go to like Baptist churches we would go to like Pentecostal ten revivals and do that we would like go to a lot of charity runs I remember a big thing was um, that I could always count on was every Christmas we did this um, we were in the local town, the town's local Christmas parade, and the whole ministry would be there and like helping donate toys and stuff for, for kids in need and things like that. And that for many, many years was just a part of Christmas for me, was uh, uh, doing these like charity events and things like that. Um, how, like, how did you interact with? The very large religious presence in your life. For a long time, I was—I mean, I, I was—I was in it. I really, really believed, and I really, really—I think there's this sense with—I've I, I, spoken to other people that grew up in similar situations, uh, adoptive kids that were. Kids that were adopted into evangelical families at a very early age, and there's the, the sense that you, that God puts you in this family's life, 
and because that because of that you are obviously meant for something special like you are god has some sort of purpose for you and uh i really for a long time wanted to live up to that especially as a, as a little kid that's tied up in just like wanting to make your parents happy too but um I remember when I was a kid, I had very really bad anxiety anytime I would do anything at all that I thought wasn't in line with that. And like no matter how small it could like be nothing. Like just or like lying about something small. I felt like I was like letting my family and God down because of that. But um I don't know. When I was like fourteen or so um my family's, um, my family's presence in like the uh, in the church had diminished significantly. Like by that point, we probably hadn't been to church in like four, three or four years by that point, because um, they had some falling outs with people in the ministry. So I will be wasn't as big part of my life anymore, and um, it got to a point that I I just had too many. Too many questions that nobody really seemed to have answers to as far as why why there are certain rules about things and all these things that we just seem to ignore. Like, I remember a big one for me was there's this thing in Axes, I think, or part of like Paul's letters to, um, to like some of the churches or something, and he um, says that basically you shouldn't allow women to like be leaders within the church and no one ever really had an answer to that like why why is that why is that <laughs> and other than i don't know it's what paul said it was this situ this was the situation yada yada and basically we just ignore that now <laughs> you know um but just a lot of things like that just over the years slowly built up and I realized I I didn't transition to just not believing at all it was more of well if there is a God whatever that is is big enough in like to create the universe itself so like how can we know for certain what that Thing wants and like why would it want us to do this and not that it's it, why would it have so many arbitrary rules you know like that like if if there is a god it's it's unknowable that was my belief for a long time and then it just slowly went away to like you know very basic like teenage agnosticism you know <laughs> Um, did any of the other questions have anything to do with your queer trans identities? Yeah, I, I, yeah, because I, there came a point around the same age where I wasn't, I didn't come out until I was, I didn't, I, I didn't accept that I was queer until I was 18, so, but like mid-teens, I realized that I, didn't hate queer people and that I wasn't going to it and that it didn't make any the fact that 
we were supposed to see that as wrong just never sat right with me and I think even though if I wasn't ready to accept it at the time that probably had something to do with my breaking away from the church because I just never really saw why it should hurt why it hurt anyone like if you want to love who you want to love like why shouldn't I should God hate that it just again just seemed really arbitrary you know like the the big ones all make sense like don't kill people is a solid rule you know but (laughs) beyond that it really starts to get really um weirdly specific (laughs) um when you said we did you mean like we as like the religion or like your family or both um, we as in um, like, when I um, like why we are told to like hate certain people oh like, yeah the, the the church but specifically like the like the denomination and the denominations that we were very much in line with so like certain strict kind of southern baptist and pentecostal and evangelical that side of things it's um uh, I mean, it's no surprise to anyone that it, the, none of those denominations have a very uh, strong history with, uh, have a very good history with queer people, especially. They're all very... It's, it's weird, because all of them, to some degree or another, are predicated on, on the idea that once you become saved, there's nothing that you could do to then not be saved. If you accept that God is real and that he, Jesus loves you so much that he died for you and basically like took all the sin of the world into himself so that anyone that believes in him can you know, have eternal life in heaven and all of that, then once you accept that, there's nothing that you can do to stop that. So if despite that, there's so much judgment within that those communities within those denominations like which always seemed so weird to me like catholicism has like the idea of confession and all of that like you need to actively be a participant in your own salvation at all times otherwise you know you might lose that but those denominations don't but they're so judgmental about everything, despite the fact that if you take, a, you should be a good person, but from that viewpoint, no matter what you do after that, you're from like a, a, the standpoint of eternity and all of that, you're fine. You know, it's... <laughs> I'm gonna switch gears a bit and ask how you, or why you decided to move to New York. I, um, there was, um, the, I'd kind of always wanted to live somewhere else even before I came out, because it just, the town and everything felt so stifling, because there's just a lot of nothing, (laughs) like, um, I, mean, it, I imagine it's the same for a lot of people who live in 
towns that were built around an industry that no longer exists is just that it just feels like everything is hopeless all the time and that it's not going to get better and no one ever really seems to be trying to and because of that you just sort of develop this sense of pessimism about everything and I never wanted to be a part of that I always thought well if it is that bad I personally can't do anything to change this so I'm just going to leave <laughs> um, and then when I came out it really it just added to that so much more because not only was I in this environment I was in it was in a place that where there weren't any other queers and where I couldn't live the life that I wanted to and so I decided that I wanted to move and then I found uh, I made some friends out here online <laughs> and, uh, that I became really close to it was like the first queer friends that I had really ever made and uh, when I decided, when I told them, hey, I would like to, New York seems cool, I would like to live there, they they were very helpful and they gave me a place to stay. I'm still currently living with them right now. Um, and um, I've never really had that before, like that sense of community before. Like, I mean, like, I'd been to, like, churches and things like that, but, like, the level to which the queer people that I've become very, very good friends with, like, will do anything for you because you've, kind of, to one degree or another, have been through the same thing, and they really want to help each other, <laughs> and I feel, I'm, I feel the same way. I hope that once when I get settled and have my life a little bit more together that I could be one of those people too that you know helps people out yeah it's um I think I've only been here two months so I can't say for certain but my life's a lot better I think despite um just currently living on someone's couch it's it's a it's a lot better because I don't, I don't feel a pressure to n not be myself anymore. I, I, I can present however I want. I, there are other people like me. I can like pass by on the street. And I remember the first like week I was here, I was walking around in midtown, and I was wearing this. Uh, I was wearing this yellow dress that I bought. It was, um, it's like this, it's kind of like a slip with, uh, like some flowers on it, but it has like this other part to it. It's like this sheer, uh, other sheer slip that goes over it. It's very good. Uh, and I was feeling like really good about myself. And then I passed this, uh, like this, um, this other trans person on the street and we never said anything to each other, but we just like looked at each other. And there was like this, there, there, I don't know that person's name and I never will, but there was this connection and it, I'd never felt anything like that before. Like a real 
it's obscene yourself and another person in the world. It makes you feel like you exist, you know? Yeah. Um, earlier you mentioned that the first time you went to a gay bar was here in the city. Yes. Where do you, where do you and your friends like to hang out? Uh, we, um, um, now I have to remember place names. <laughs> um, we've uh, went to Ginger's. Um, that was cool. We've been to Stonewall. Um, I think Stonewall might have been my first one, actually. Um, yeah, Stone. My my friend. We we were. It was like weekend. We were going down. They were like, "I'm taking you for a skate. Your first gay bar." So we went to we went to Stonewall, hung out for a bit, and then we uh, moved on to, to Ginger's. And I just um, two nights ago was at um, was at Henrietta Hudson. And uh, yeah, they're they're all really cool places. I like Stonewall. It's always crowded. <laughs> um, Ginger's is cooler though. Like I, I like I like that place a lot because you there's this um, it's really nice inside. Everything is super old. <laughs> like their cash register is like one of those giant yeah. metal ones, and that's the one they use. It's amazing, and uh, it's like a cash only. And there's um. This great back patio space where you can hang out and um, you know, talk with your friends or talk to people you have just met. I was, uh, we met like, it was like those situation where the, the seating there is mostly like those long like picnic table yeah. benches. And um, so we just sat down on the end of one and there was one woman on the other end. And I like asked to borrow a cigarette. Um, and then we got to talking and then like two other people just sort of appear out of nowhere <laughs> Say hey, we will buy two cigarettes off of you <laughs> And and the owner of the pack was like no come on. It's fine And like we just all like me my friends and then these other people we just met like just like spent the whole night talking about stuff and it was, uh, it was really fun um, Where is Ginger's? Oh, where is <laughs> I don't know. I could look it up in right Brooklyn now. Or... I think it's in Brooklyn. <laughs> I am. Yeah, it's. Um... <laughs> I've been my my friend. My friend gives me such shit about smoking, but I'm. I've met so many people in this city like they're just asking to borrow cigarettes mm -hmm. from them like we were um, a friend and i were at dyke march um uh, we were marshals and um we were like walking by it was after the march and we were walking by like this like, group of people and uh one of them was smoking and i was like i didn't have any on me at the time um so I was like, hey, can I borrow one? And it turned out that that person was the, um, worked for the, for the tailor that made my friend's wedding dress. And <laughs> they, like, had this, like, whole, like, long conversation about, like, the dress and, like, the wedding and everything. Like, they exchanged numbers and, like, okay. got to know each other. And, and now, like, she's invited to the wedding. <laughs> it's... So anytime... Anytime my roommate uh, gets on me about it, I'm like, but I bring people together. <laughs> oh 
Um, yeah, the Dang March. Can you tell me about how you got involved in that and what your experience there was like? Oh yeah, it's uh, uh, Ginger's is uh, is in Brooklyn. It's on Fifth Avenue. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. Um, I um, I originally. Uh, my friend, the the aforementioned friend whose couch I'm living on, they uh, they had signed up to be a marshal um, months months ago, like I think before even I moved in, and um, they were going to marshal training, which is like two or three days before the actual uh, the actual march, and uh, I was going to be in the house by myself. Because this was early on, I still didn't really know anyone else in the city, so. Um, they were like, you can come if you want, like, you, uh, you could sign up to do it. And, uh, I was like, I know, like, I don't know if, like, they'll want me there <laughs> and all of that. Um, they were like, no, listen, it's actually, like, really inclusive and like everyone there is like super cool and they talked me into I signed up that day and then went to training that day and met so many cool people <laughs> like it turned like both like two of the organizers were also non-binary and there were all like a bunch of bunch of non-binary people there and um it was it was really cool we uh, the day of uh, the day of the march so we all um, my friend and I, we were put on like the east side of the of the march, I think. So we all had to like lock hands facing the uh, facing this on the side of the march that faces the street. And um, I was not ex not prepared for how many people like really love marshals. <laughs> we got so much love that day for just like standing on the side of the street. <laughs> it was uh, it was it was so fun. We met. Um, we just two nights ago went to the um, the march had like a reunion at uh, Henrietta Hudson's, and uh, we met two other people that like we were next to, and have started talking and like exchanged information and all that, and like we're uh, gonna meet each other um, next sometime next week for like brunch or something, and they were really cool. We did have one experience where it was so Dag March doesn't have big thing about the march is they don't have a license yeah. like any of the other prints so like that's why they marshal themselves and there there are cops there but they are, do not coordinate with the march really at all like they're they are there to stop traffic and that is basically it um or do something if something happens i don't know um but we were given very explicit instructions not to talk to them <laughs> Just cause, just uh, yeah, and um, one of the first things they tell us, and so I'm sitting there, and there's like two people down from me. There's a cop, and like he just really, really wanted to talk to us. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, I I was we were all like holding hands, but we we spread out so much that we were all arms length from each other. So two people down from me was. It might as well have been another planet for all. Um, so, he never said anything to me, but I could hear their conversation that they were half having because 
none of us would talk to him, but he went on. And he kept talking about, like, yeah, like, I don't know why everyone doesn't like me here, right? Like, it's, like, uh, like, a bunch of people yelled at me, and, like, why, like, what is the purpose of a parade? Like, what does, like, I understand, like, having a parade is cool, but, like, what does it do? And <laughs> I'm just, like, my guy, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Like, you're at a pride, like, you're, like, at a pride parade, like, why do you expect people to, why, why, just why? The place really just <laughs> gotta go. I know. Okay. <laughs> cool. We can preserve that for all time, fuck the police. <laughs> yes. All cops are bastards. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> why does nobody like me? No, no dude. <laughs> Fuck you! You need to go. Cause you're a cop, and you're at a, and even more, you're at a, you're a cop at a pride parade. Like Jesus Christ! Like you present a danger to many people. That's yeah. There you go. Um. Anyway. <laughs> um. Did you do any other pride events or parades or whatnot? Yeah, we um we went to um the first one I ever went, which was my first like pride event ever in life, was um, was Brooklyn Pride. We went there. And that was um, um, as an experience. I liked Dyke March better, um, but um, Brooklyn Pride was cool. Like there was a lot more stuff to buy. <laughs> I uh, I got some churros and uh, I got a really great jacket. Um, so all in all, a great experience. I actually have the. Um, there was this event that we were at. Oh, not event. The event was Brooklyn Five, but there was like the stand set up that was like had cards for people to ride on, and they could take pictures. That was like um, said when like the first time they went to Pride was, and uh, oh no, do I not have it anymore? Oh, here it is. Yeah, me and the friends I were with, Sars. And of course, I'm the dingus in the background who has the current date and <laughs> year. Tell everyone what the photo is. Oh yeah, it's so it's uh, it's um, me and my um, two friends that I'm currently living with, um, in like this in front of like this rainbow banner, and we're each holding cards that say "My First Pride" with a little space for you to write the date on. Um, when your first pride was and where it was and uh yeah mine is brooklyn pride 20th 2019 i am also the only one not smiling <laughs> just we we said that to a mutual friend of ours and uh their first comment was why does hayden look just like your sad goth kid in the background just like who doesn't want to be on vacation with their parents like it's just like what I look like in my photographs. Sorry. I don't know. I, I tend to like smile with my mouth closed a lot of the time in photographs because of like a gap in my teeth that I was really con- self-conscious about as a kid. So even if I do smile in photographs now, it doesn't really look like it sometimes. <laughs> um, you're a writer, correct? I, uh, yes. Do you still want to talk about that? We can talk about that, yeah. Um, what? We can start off with like queer fiction and applying queer lenses to historical narratives. Okay. Oh, well, I don't have any opinions about those things. I, you know, um, yeah, I, um, 
I've just always, ever since I was a kid, like, wanted to, like, make up stories and stuff. Like, ever since, like, the first proper book that I remember reading that I was, where I was aware of, like, oh, a person wrote this, and this is a thing that people do, was uh, the, um, the Chronicles of Narnia. I listened to those um, on tape. My parents got me those for Christmas, and I wore out those cassettes and like um and i was aware that csus was like a person that had like made all this and i thought well if that's a thing people do i want to do that and so i just like would make up stories like set in narnia and stuff and then over time would like make my own and it was just it's just always something that i've done i um over the years, as after I came out, got really interested in queer fiction and like queer literature in general, and um, I think one th one thing that I always uh, one one thing that I've noticed a lot is that when you when you queer like two things happen that I, that seem to be universal, which is like your whole life gets recontextualized in some way like you'll have you'll think back to memories that you had as a kid and you will realize oh that was actually this like this is what's happened this is what i was actually feeling and it's amazing it's at least in my experience it's it's just it's yeah i don't know <laughs> it's like you're remembering someone else's life but it, it suddenly all makes sense like, um, but the other thing is like that happens for history too like I started seeking out you know other people that were also queer that had existed and do exist and because I love books so much naturally one thing that I was always curious about was like which one of the authors that I like were actually really gay, <laughs> and um, yeah, like the, the um, I always loved Emily Dickinson as a kid, and um, I found out that that uh, that she was queer and changed all of those poems for me. And I, I have this big book that has like all of her poems and a bunch of her letters, and it is she was so amazing and uh walt whitman similar thing like i always loved whitman and then when i came out and then reread like leaves of grass it all made sense <laughs> and of course you're like well yes like this is so this is so queer like how could i have seen this as anything else and it's it's really affirming to know that that we've always existed that and of course you know that like people people have always felt this way on an intellectual level like it's just it's just a given but to actually be able to look back and see that yes like we have always been here and this and to be able to point to something like a poem or a book and say like no this this is us saying that we are here and that this is how we feel 
and that these that this is valid and and, and beautiful and it's just it's to be more contemporary about it I remember there was um there was one interview with um like Rebecca Sugar who like this like this um like made this made the cartoon like Steven Universe right and they they're bisexual and non-binary and someone asked them in the interview um what inspired you to put all of these queer themes and characters in this show and previously before like they weren't out like publicly like they were out like in their own like in their private life but it, they never actually said it before and the response is something that I've thought about so much which is the reason for that the reason they do this is that they want to feel like they exist and they want other people who need to feel that way to feel that way too and I just think that's such perfect summation for me personally of like why I love art made by queer people and why that's something that I want to do because to I've I've been made to feel in my life a lot of the time that the way that I am that the way that I feel that, that it's not real and even and you internalize that over time like I for a long time thought that I was fooling myself, that I wasn't actually queer, and just had like this imposter syndrome. But when you look back from letters that people wrote to each other, you know, from the 40s, or like you can go back to like photographs of like Victorian men like hugging each other and things like that, and it, it, makes it all really solid, you know? It makes you feel like you are real and you exist. And... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, don't be. <laughs> um, are there any other authors or fictional, like, pieces or shows or books or et cetera, et cetera, that are particularly important to you or memorable? Yes. Um... The um, Fountain of Home is a very, it's a big one for me by um, uh, by Alison Bechtel. She um, I um, I can't say for certain that that book made me come out into myself and like make me accept myself. I like to imagine anyway that I would have that it was a build up, but that but reading that happened to co coincide coincide with like the culmination of that. That time in my life. When you read that? I was uh, I was eighteen, and um, yeah, I just it's a it's a great it's a great feeling anytime you can read a book or watch a movie or listen to something, read a poem where you you recognize the feelings that this person is going through or trying to invoke in you, and it just. Um, it's a similar similar thing. It makes you feel like you exist. But when I read Fun Home, I felt I felt that on a level that I had never felt before. And I realized that 
I just I sort of just sat myself down was like why do I feel so strongly connected to this and I realized you know okay it's time to like accept this like this is how I feel and that's okay and um, yeah <laughs> um, yeah the um, so yeah fun home is a big one for me um, I remember reading um, uh, oranges aren't the only fruit that also a favorite of mine because um, Jenna Winterson and I have very similar uh, very similar upbringings it's like she was queer and also adopted and raised by an evangelical family so it was uh, um, it's very it was uncanny to like read something, read that be, and be like oh no, yeah I went through that too like that is exactly how that feels like it's, um I'm um uh, a big book for me growing up that I um that has like stuck with me after I came out was um, Left Hand of Darkness by uh, Ursula K. Le Guin about um it's like this sci-fi book about this um about this person from Earth who goes to an ice planet and everyone on this everyone on said ice planet um changes their gender every couple months or something or changes their sex I should say um and um I never read anything like that before as a kid it was it blew my mind <laughs> and then afterwards coming out it um it's not perfect as far as like like queer representation goes but it is amazing to me that something like that was written in like the 60s i think i think it was written in 67 it was yeah it is it's if you really want if you really want to have that feeling like reading um like sci queer sci-fi uh, but to like even next level like um um well, no of course i forget what his name is no never mind uh what is his name um Dem i know demos wrote the um three musketeers of uh, that doesn't matter i Five minutes from now, I won't remember <laughs> as it goes. Um, I don't know. Is what was I talking about? Oh, uh, books and things. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I I always really liked comic books when I was a kid. Still do. Um, I realized that there was a really um, there is some. I'm not the first person to say there is something like inherently queer about superheroes, but I think, especially for, at least for me, there's something interesting about the idea of, like, becoming a better version of yourself, and especially like, um, it's not Jonathan Burt, it's Marv Wolfman, who like did, um, was the writer and artist who did, um, Teen Titans, um, 
really interesting to me that they are basically always their alter egos, right? So for all and effective purposes, that is who they are, like that is who they want to be. So it's really interesting to me that, that where people haven't read like um, read a like trans narrative into that, you know, because you know, as as a kid, I think you always maybe not everyone, <laughs> maybe just me, the like narratives of like people transforming into different things, but like seeing that as a good thing, seeing like the idea of the idea of transition and change and actively making yourself into something that you would rather be that is truer to how you feel is um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's something that has always that always appealed to me as a kid. Um, uh, what kind of writing do you I, do? Right? Yeah. Sorry, I keep getting. I feel like I keep getting off track from no, your original no, questions. No. Um, like branch off whatever directions you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, I write um. I've, I've been writing mostly fantasy because I'm that friend that you have who's like writing a book about wizards but I swear it's not like all the other books about wizards that you it's queer fantasy it's queer wizards you know um, I am I, I do like sci- science fiction like speculative fiction um, but I have always there's always been something about fantasy that I really liked as far as like genre fiction goes more than others and something that's really interesting to me or that really interests me right now is science science fiction is very forward-looking it is generally speaking always trying to predict something or take something that is current and then see okay if this keeps going this way what will it look like Whereas fantasy is very backwards looking. You take traditions and cultures or histories that have existed in the past, and then you think, well, you add, you add dragons to it or something, you know? You make it more so. Um, and I think that has in some ways hampered it as far as queer representation goes. There certainly is queer representation in fantasy, like Mercedes Lackey and like the um, the eighties had lots of queer characters, and but I think as a whole it's lagged behind. But I think people, I wish that people would see the opportunity to use the fact that it is backwards looking that it does look to the past to talk about queer narratives much like what we talked about before looking back to you know queer artists that have existed in the past or just like queer people living their lives they've always been there so why shouldn't it be the same for fantasy and also there's so much opportunity to fantasy offers so many opportunities to explore things like gender and sexuality. Like I, 
there's something that fascinates me right now is that so there's broad archetypes of like witches and wizards in fantasy as a whole and fairy tales and all of that and I've done a lot of reading about it because it's been like my life for the past year <laughs> is trying to find the commonalities and see if they actually do hold true across a bunch of different uh, schools of folklore like Ukrainian folklore and like Norse mythology and such and such forth and like generally speaking it is the same like witches are very earthly and like if they're not evil like they're maybe like in service of something or they they draw power from something else um whereas wizards are like very like alchemical scholarly their their source of their ability comes from like power and knowledge and is something that you have gained usually because you are very good at what you do you know and um what that says about people's perceptions of gender is very interesting <laughs> and I've always wondered I'm working on something right now that sort of explores that like you have a character who sees this divide between the two between these two different traditions of magic and is wonders why they are there in the first place and if there actually is a difference and wants to push forward and see if could we move beyond that is this all just you know artifice that we've built up over the years for no reason like what is actually at the source of this magic you know and find out if there's a way you can just exist within it without all of that you know yeah. <laughs> um, continuing with art and creation of things you had said you're in a band. Are you still doing that? I am still awesome. still doing that. We currently do not have a name, <laughs> so I'm I can't plug our uh, <laughs> I can't plug our SoundCloud for the archives for all of eternity. But yeah, our um, our um, the friend that I'm currently staying with, they uh, I'm not mentioning their name because I never I didn't ask them if I could. So. Sorry to be very vague about it, okay. um, but they—they've uh, been in this band for, with some friends of theirs for a while, and I—they um, knew that I play like a bunch of different things, and they were in need of a drummer, so they said, "You play drums, right?" And of course, I said yes, like, like a fool, and I was trapped then. <laughs> so I now play drums for them. <laughs> yeah. Is it mostly other queer and trans people in the band? It is all, uh, it is all queer and trans people. Yeah. What kind of music do you guys do? Uh, it's like, um, <laughs> we're, we play a lot of like, um, like garage rock and like, but like we also do like synth pop stuff. It's it's really fun. Um, we, one one member of the band is really into country music, <laughs> so we ended up we end up playing those a lot at practice. It's it's fun. I'm I'm still I keep pitching names that no one's latching on to unfortunately I thought that we should be called uh, Gabby and the Misandrists someone named Gabby someone there's there's a Gabby in the band yes um, 
Before, no one took that, unfortunately. Or the, uh, like Kinsey's Kinsey and the Fantastic Sliding Scales. <laughs> I'm one of the few skills I have is coming up with band names. I was I've been in a lot <laughs> over the years. Um, I, uh, I, st- I started playing guitar when I was like 13. My uncle like played guitar forever. I was like, okay, Aiden, here's like three chords. <laughs> I'm like, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Uncle Wesley. And um, that was the extent of my formal training. I just sort of kept going from there. And if I, um, if I, we needed like an instrument that we couldn't find anyone who played. I just thought, okay, I'll I'll learn that one. <laughs> and so, over the years, I've I've had to learn to play a lot of different things. But it it's it's fun. I enjoy it. It's one of the few uh, one of the few things that I can just sort of do. Um, but it's fun. <laughs> um, are any the other bands you're in like queer and trans people? Um, no, this is my first one with like just queer and trans people, so it's 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 a lot of fun. Yeah, that's, that's great. Do you guys do performances? Have you done a performance yet? Not yet. We're still just. It's mostly just like something that we we're doing for fun yeah. right now. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, although we do um, a couple of um, couple of our people write songs, so maybe at some point in the future we'll play shows, maybe record stuff. Who knows? Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. Um, can I ask? Yeah, so since you're relatively new to New York, you're like job hunting right now, right? I am, yeah. Um, how do you find job hunting as a trans person? Or, like, are you out? Do you, like, when you're being interviewed or whatever, what, how, however the process ends up being for whatever the particular job, do you, like, yeah, just how's that experience? Uh, nerve-wracking. <laughs> it's, well, not, I shouldn't be hyperbolic. It's, it's a lot better than my, I think what, no matter what I end up in, it'll be a lot better than my previous job, just as far as existing as a queer trans person, because, um, I came out, I, my last job, I was a librarian for uh, five years, so I came out first as bisexual, and then a year or two later as non-binary. Um, but I did not come out at work, so I was going through this while still working. So I had a name change uh, while I was still working there <laughs> um, that I was never able to really swing <laughs> with anyone. So my um, my name, my name's Hayden, and that was uh, for time my middle name, um, but I decided to take that as my first name, and um, it is that's made things easier to some extent and less so for others. But I was never able to get people to call me by that name at, at my old job. But here, job hunting, I at least have my name, like that is that is my legal name. It is still. Um, I have not gone through like, any any legal process to try and get it changed to my actual legal first name, but people don't really bat an eye if I'm like, you know, I my name's Hayden. It's my middle name. That's what I go by. So um, there are a few places that have a very large, um, very large 
uh, queer workforce and that seem to be like are very are very friendly towards queer people and all that that I would not be uncomfortable being out at but it's something that I'm very much like playing by ear I've never I've never gone to a job interview like in a dress or like in makeup or anything like that I try and be as discreet as possible just because more I just I just want a job right now you know it's 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 not I'm at the point in my life where I I can be as out as I want to be in any other situation so if I have to make this one small concession to before me, I'm sorry, that is my phone. Oh, I, wasn't sure what that was. I can mute that. No, it's okay. It's on like a camera, and I was like, <laughs> Being, I knew they were watching us. Yeah. But if I have to make this one sacrifice in order to live in a city where I can be out in every other way and in, in every other part of my life, then it's a significant improvement from where I was, and I'm, I'm willing to make that for now. Yeah. Um, what were you remember names the places that had like significant queer workforces um if there are a lot of gays that think coffee like a lot i know um um buffalo exchange the um like a used clothing store large uh, large queer workforce there and i would be fine dressing however i wanted to there actually if i got that job because there are a lot of a lot of people who present a lot of different ways there all the time uh, working there, so I, I would, that would be a pretty good job actually, I'd like that. Is uh, that the one up by NYU? Uh, there is one by NYU, there's like three different locations, one, one's like around Soho, I think, and there's one in Brooklyn, I don't go to that one too much, it's, um, it's a lot smaller. Um, the one in Soho is really good though, it's like massive. I actually got this, uh, this purse that I have um, I at that one, yeah. And actually, this jumpsuit too. I, I, I shop there a lot. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about or cover? Um, uh, I'm trying to think because this has been uh, this is being archived. It's <laughs> like I feel pressure to like say something to like preserve for eternity or whatever. Um, if For a long time, I felt like I felt scared to try things. I, um, as far as experimenting with my identity, presentation, what I want to be called, what my name is, and in every case, I always had this lingering sense that I was uh, that I was faking it, that I was people would think I was like an imposter or something. And I've never been called out for that. Um, and I've, I'm at a point in my life where I feel like I have the freedom to try anything that I want. I had changed my name for like a very brief period after I moved here because just with a couple of friends, I, I told them, hey, I want to, I want to try going by this name instead, see if I like it. And it turned out I didn't, and I went back to Hayden. 
and no one said anything. Everyone was fine with it. And even though I, even though I didn't stick with it, I'm, I'm glad that I tried. Because uh, now I know even more for certain how I feel about my current name and what it means to me, and I, I think that's important is having the having the freedom and also being comfortable enough to try and experiment. I wish that everyone everyone was that free to just see what see if they like something or not, you know, and just try and like f find out who they are, you know. And, um, and I Things are getting better. Things are better than than they certainly were in the past. Um, things are worse than they have been uh, in some regard as well. But I think queer people queer people have banded together in very very tight communities. And I think that no matter how how bad things get, so long as we can keep that and be supportive of each other, I think that I think we'll be okay. At least I hope so. At least that's how I feel now that I have that, and I hope I always have that. Great. Thank you so much. <laughs>